One of the most precious things I ever gave up in my life was my status as a layperson. As many of you know, I've been a leader in churches since I was 14 years old. This means that I was a lay leader almost as long as I have now been a minister. To be a lay leader in a church is one of the greatest pleasures any person can know. To employ a bad pun, it means you get to have your church and lead it too. My family tree is filled with church leaders from two great-grandfathers who were ministers, one Methodist and one Congregationalist, to various elders and deacons, Sunday school superintendents, and lead teachers. Family members of mine have been at the center of whatever church they attended. Growing up, I was expected to take a leadership role in our church. Even as a teenager, I was expected to take a part in the Christmas pageant each year, to usher and serve coffee, to sit on a committee, to attend Sunday school and youth group. I was also expected to make a financial pledge to the church and to follow through on paying it. All of this as a teenager. My parents and grandparents expected the same of my brothers and sister. To this day, four out of the five of us are still church leaders. No one ever sat my siblings and I down and told us how to be church leaders. We learned by example. We learned by watching our parents and our grandparents. My brothers learned by watching me. We all knew that it was important to step up and get involved, and we did. It was our church, after all. Even though no one ever handed us a church instruction manual, It would have included such observations such as, a church leader shows up early and usually stays to the the end of the event. A church leader sees every visitor as a possible church member and a possible new friend. A church leader can be trusted with money, property, and confidential information. A church leader tries to make life easier for the minister. A church leader waits until others have spoken to make his or her views known. A church leader seeks consensus but is not afraid of making a decision. A church leader is kind, courteous, and professional. A church leader acts with the congregation's best interest at heart at all times. A church leader's spiritual life is evident in his or her work with the congregation. This sounds like the Girl Scout Oath, the Hippocratic Oath, and the Pledge of Allegiance all rolled into one, if you ask me. I think someone should post that list somewhere. I know that this declaration is posted on the hearts and minds of dozens of leaders in this church. First Parish in Concord does not lack for dedicated lay leadership. It does not lack for good churchmen and churchwomen. We would never have gotten this far without centuries of dedicated service on the part of thousands of men and women in this congregation. This congregation is a testament 
to the service and devotion of many generations of its members, this one included. It is the tangible result of countless hours of service. Whenever I start an evening meeting or a class, the first thing that I do is thank people for coming. I'm at the church in the evening in part because it is, after all, my job. Everyone else who gives precious time to do so, to show up. I thank people for coming, I also, and in doing so, I thank them for caring about our congregation. I thank them for taking their spiritual, intellectual, and emotional lives seriously. I thank them for caring enough to leave the comfort of their own homes to be with one another. Never do I take it for granted that you will show up on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday evening. Never do I take for granted your willingness to give of your time. As Unitarian Universalists, we're a lucky bunch. With neither heaven nor hell to worry about, we are free to be religious people in the here and now. We are free to bring the very real fruits of our spiritual labor to bear on this life in this time. We are free to have a profoundly intimate relationship with the creative force of the universe, that force that some of us call God. We are free to follow teachers that inspire us, Buddha, Jesus, Gandhi, King, Tubman, Anthony, Fuller, and hundreds more. We are free to make a real difference in our families, our neighborhoods, our towns, and the world. We are free to be both profoundly religious and infinitely practical. Unitarian Universalism is a practical religion. This is one of the reasons I love it so much, is its practicality. It works in this world. The promise of this practical religion is the good news we must carry to Concord and beyond. This good news holds the promise for restoring our badly damaged world. But we must be willing to carry this good news together. As an evangelist in the ancient Middle East, Paul of Tarsus offers wise words for how the members of one church might work together and appreciate one another's skills. The body does not consist of one member, but of many, he writes. If the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear said, would to say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, then that would not make it any less a part of the body either. If the whole body were an eye, he says, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would be the sense of smell? As it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as God chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. What has remained constant for congregations throughout history is that their members meet in real time with one another. It is this bodily meeting that 
it is in this bodily meeting that congregations do their work. Ritual and theology aside, the real work that happens on Sunday morning is that we gather in a room and we have a shared experience. It is this shared experience, be it worship or religious education, coffee hour or the forum, that makes us a congregation. Shared experiences is why a Unitarian Universalist congregation can exist at all, given the wideness of our members' beliefs. The act of gathering is what counts. And no amount of technology will ever make up for sitting shoulder to shoulder with other humans. No amount of email will ever add up to friendly or tender conversations that happen on a Sunday morning. There's another truth. We will never all like each other. We will never all agree with each other. We will never all even know each other. But here we are. We are equals. Here we each have a place. Here we are all needed. We are all parts of the same body. What I think our church should be about is releasing one another's gifts. At its best, it can be a place where cooperation, not competition, guides our actions. It can be a place where we watch out for one another, a place where we boost each other up, a place where we delight in one another's successes, a place where we look beyond our own needs and desires to those of our neighbors. C.S. Lewis described a charitable person in these terms. He lived for others. Lewis said, you could tell the others by their hunted look. In a society as frightfully narcissistic as ours, it can be downright countercultural to think about someone else before yourself. But thinking of others is the only thing that will ever bring us into true community. Thinking selfishly results in consumerism and competition, Thinking of others results in cooperation. A church community is a radical pooling of money and talent for the betterment of the community and the world. It is a place where we can feel best about contributing what we have and sharing in what others provide. But let us listen to the second half of what Paul of Tarsus wrote to that new little church in Corinth, Greece, 2,000 years ago. The eye cannot say to the hand, he says, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior members, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have all the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. So how are we doing in this releasing of one another's gifts. How might each of us be happy in the successes of others? 
How might we be kinder and more understanding of people who are struggling? Paul's words travel through the centuries to remind us that we, we, we need one another, not in some kind of polite, false way, but really need one another. There is no one in our church who is inferior, and likewise, there is no one in our church who is superior either. We must all have the same care for one another. If one of us suffers, all of us suffer. If one of us is honored, we all share in that honor. It is no mistake that you are here this morning. This community offers itself to you over and over. It asks you to come and be a part of it. This invitation is issued fresh every single week. It does not matter if today is your first Sunday in a Unitarian Universalist church or if you've been coming to First Parish in Concord for decades. The invitation is the same. Come, bring your whole self and join in the good work that we can do together. Come, be nourished here. Come, find wholeness here. Come and be of service here. Here you are welcome. Here you are worthy. So be it. Amen.